2: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
0: That's how God described the, the Word of God. I mean, that's how Job described the Word of God that was in him. He says in In Job 32, 19, Job 32, 19, he says, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. And so he said that there's only one way for him to find, to to get relief from this pressure. And he says in verse 20, he says, I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips. You know, I've experienced that. It's, It's something, I don't know, whenever I speak to Jewish people who don't know Christ and, they, and some of them can be so insulting and just so, just say the most horrible thing. Oh, you're worse than Hitler. Hitler killed the body. You killed the soul. And on and on, you know. Your mother, your father, yeah, you know, I hear it all. Anyway, so, um, and afterward, but afterward, it's really strange because the, I'm sure that they're thinking, well, that'll stop him, you know, you're not going to do that again. Talk to me about Christ. But afterward, I feel so refreshed, so great. And this is what Job is saying is that God puts that message in the belly. He puts that message like fire shut up in the bones. And if you don't say anything, like Job says, he says, uh, or you can't stand it, but then when you speak, you feel refreshed even though you get abused. Now, it's the knowledge of the judgment of God that hell is just around the corner, and if there's not a turning to Christ, then that burning fire shut up in the bones begins to really, really build up. And this is the burning fire shut up in the bones that Paul experienced in Romans chapter 9, verses 1. Those first four verses in Romans 9, if you want to know why is Paul saying, Paul, why are you saying these things like this? What he's going to say, I'll tell you what he said in a second. But but the re, Paul would say, the reason I'm saying that is because I have a fire, a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And this was how Paul expressed it in Romans 9, 1. Romans nine, one. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul is saying there, I will trade places. I've never said that. I don't think I could say that, but Paul said it. I would trade my place in heaven for my, if they could be going to heaven, I will go to hell in their place. And why was he saying such a thing like that? Because there was a burning fire shut up in his bones. This is the heart of Paul. This is the heart of Paul that he writes to believers. I don't believe that Paul was going out there and telling that to to the lost. He's confiding in believers, Roman believers. He's confiding in us in this room now. And he's saying to us, he's saying to us, this is how I feel. It's a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. He's saying that. And then when he goes to believers, can you imagine the passion that he has when he would have this burning fire shut up in his bones when he's got burning within him? I will go to hell if they can go to heaven. Can you imagine? And that's what comes through to the hearers. That's what comes through, the sense they get a sense when they're listening to Paul, when they're listening to Zechariah, when they're listening to Jeremiah, when they're listening to Job, they get a sense that there is a burning fire shut up in this man's bones. And that's what comes through. That's what the hearers, they hear. And that's how that works. And I'm totally lost here. I don't know what I've got. All these pages all over the place here. This has to go down. And this has nothing to do with my message. I don't know what that's doing here. So we'll get that up. Sorry, I have to do all this house cleaning here in the middle of a message, but I get confused. All right, never mind. So if there is a speaker, if there is a speaker that does not have this burning fire shut up in his bones, then when he speaks, then when he speaks, it becomes a message of 1 Corinthians 13.1. 1 Corinthians 13.1, which is sounding brass and tinkling cymbal sounding brass and tickling. In other words, a boring message with no passion. That was not the case for Zachariah or any of these men. And the Lord Jesus, he was the example. He was the one who was the primary one who had the burning fire shut up in his bones. When he stood before the tomb of Lazarus, he had burning fire shut up in his bones in John 11:33, John 11:33, when it says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. He groaned in his spirit and was troubled. That's a burning fire shut up in his bones that caused him to groan in his spirit and be troubled. He showed, the Lord Jesus showed that he had this burning fire shut up in his bones when he stood before the city of Jerusalem and he looked at that city and it says in Luke 19.41, Luke 19.41, When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, and thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee about, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they that... Shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Why was he saying that? Why was he weeping? Why was he so passionate? Because he had a burning fire shut up in his bones that caused him to cry, cry his heart out when he looked at Jerusalem. In all of these cases, these people who felt this burning fire shut up in their bones, the Lord Jesus, Paul, Jeremiah, Job, Zechariah, the burning fire that was shut up in their bones was the knowledge of verse 2. The Lord has been, the Lord is sore displeased. And God's wrath was about to fall. And on all these men, they felt God's wrath that was going to fall. They felt the approaching doom, the terror. as a, And that's what was generating the burning fire shut up in their bones. And they preached what they felt. They preached what they felt, and this is why God told Zechariah in verse 17, verse 17, cry, cry yet, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity should be spread abroad. So, but what Zechariah was to say to Israel was the message of verse 3, therefore say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you saith the Lord of hosts. The verse three, verse three starts with, therefore, therefore say thou unto them. Literally, literally what it says in the Hebrew is, and thou sayest, and thou sayest, which means that God is saying here that from what I just told you, Zechariah, in verse two, the Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers, that God is saying that you will say, you will say, you need to say, you must say, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. And see, notice how God keeps putting his signature on that. He keeps putting his signature on that. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, his signature, turn ye unto me, and, and I'll turn unto you. He signs it at the end, saith the Lord. Twice, twice, God puts his signature on that promise. That's like a promissory note. That's like a promissory note with God's signature at the beginning of it. That's a promissory note where he signs it at the start and he signs it at the end. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. That promissory note is so important to God that he signed it twice, in the beginning and at the end. And the promissory note is very simple. Turn ye unto me and I will turn unto you. It was just that critical to be delivered from, to the people of Israel and to have God's signature on it twice that God wanted that message to be so heard to other people that it was like, he signs it twice here, and then he has two people saying the same thing, like stereo, stereo, where one of the channels is Zechariah the prophet. That's the Zechariah channel. It comes from the prophet Zechariah in verse 3, turn ye unto me, I'll turn unto you. But on the other side, there was another channel, that was the Malachi channel. That was the prophet Malachi who said the same message in Malachi 3.7, lived at the same time. Malachi 3.7, turn unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. And so God continues to say that same promise today, that same promissory note is given today. It says James 4.8 is the same thing, James 4.8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So when God says this today, when God says this in verse 3, turn ye unto me, that means that they had turned away from God. They turned away from God. Some people are like Adam. They run away to hide from God. Some They run away from God. Some people are like the prodigal son. They end up running away from God because they're running to sin. They're running to sin. That takes them away from God. And some just uh, wander off, just wander off from God in order that, some are like Isaiah 53, 6, Isaiah 53, 6, some are like, oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The most terrible state of anyone is when God is sore displeased. You can't get worse than that. But there's a remedy for it. That's the great news. That's the good news. That's what gospel means. It's a great news. The remedy is, turn ye unto me. That's repentance. Turn ye unto me. Repentance has a promise attached to it. The promise is, I will turn unto you. Repentance would mean nothing if there was no promise, but it's got this wonderful promise. It's based on what is said in Psalm 130, verse 7. Psalm 130, verse 7. Let Israel hope in the Lord. Why? Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy and with him there is plenteous redemption. Enough redemption. In Psalm 130, verse 4, Psalm 130, verse 4, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. All a person has to do is repent, which means forsaking, turning away from wicked ways, bad habits of life, wrong thoughts, wicked thoughts. God says in Isaiah 55, 7, Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and he let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. And God told Israel that if they're going to turn to God, that they've got to turn away from their fathers. That's what he said in verse four, verse four. Be ye not as your fathers, Unto whom the former prophets have cried, they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. And then God sees the children, he sees the children, saying, Turn away from my father for God, turn away from my parents. How can I do that? And God says, Think about it in verse 5. Think about it, he says, Where your fathers, where are they? Where are they right now? And God told Israel, Consider. Consider what happened to your fathers. And he says what happened in verse 6. Verse 6, he says, But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did not they take hold on your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways, according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. God used that word. God says, I want you to think about it. God says, uh, Listen to these words, take hold. Take hold. That's the term that God used. It describes what happened to their fathers. When a person tries to run away from God, tries to escape from God, and God catches up with that person, and that person is caught, man wants to escape like Adam. Like Adam, he tried to escape in Genesis 3.10. Genesis 3.10. And he said, Adam said to God, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. But God caught up with Adam. He caught him in verse 21, Genesis three twenty-one, Genesis three twenty-one. But unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. That was God who took hold of Adam, who took hold of Adam and said, Adam, the sin of your nakedness is showing. I'm gonna clothe you now in coats of skin. Later, I'm gonna clothe you with the Lord Jesus Christ, with Jehovah Jesus himself, and you're going to be covered. That's the Day of Atonement. That's the Day of Covering that's celebrated every year. So, so God, with that take hold of Adam, that's what happened with Adam in Zechariah 1.6. My words, did they not take hold? The other person we see from Scripture who wanted to escape from God, run away from God, was Jonah. Jonah wanted to escape from God. Jonah 1.3, Jonah three. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare thereof went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord but God caught up with him God caught Noah Jonah he caught him in Jonah 117 Jonah 117 the Lord the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish 3 days and 3 nights that was God that was God in verse 6, Zechariah 1.6, verse 6, but my word, did they not take hold? God, uh, God takes hold, God finds, God hounds, God hunts down, he takes hold. This is when, when man wants to escape from, from God like Paul. Paul wanted to escape from God. In Acts 26.9, in Acts 26.9, he says, for verily, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, but God caught him. God caught up with Paul in Acts 9.3. Acts 9.3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That was God in verse 6. Zechariah 1.6, that was God, my words, did they not take hold. In all those cases, with every case where a person runs away from God, that a person is running away from God, a person's on the run away from God, there's a, there's a terrible feeling. There's a fearful feeling that God knows. There's a sinking feeling that there's gonna come a day when I'm gonna run out of gas, when I'm gonna have to stop, and that's gonna be a day of reckoning. There's a torment of memory, a torment of memory. I've got a memory, a memory is killing me, conscious, the law, the law of God, scriptures, judgment. And all this is encompassed in the words, in, verse, uh, in the words there, God said in Zechariah, but my words and my statutes, did they not take hold of your fathers? This verse describes the greatest fear of all, that a person is being chased, a person is being pursued, a person is being followed. And that at any moment, he may feel the hand of God on his shoulder with the altar, with those words, you are now my prisoner. You are my prisoner. And this haunting feeling from verse 5, from verse five, your fathers, where are they? Zechariah 1.5, your fathers, where are they? I and mean, may just think of this in the context of Jewish people, Jewish people whose mothers and fathers have said to their children, as minded, You must never believe in Jesus. He is dead. He is not God. He will not be anything for you in the future. He is certainly not the Messiah. And God says about those those Jewish parents in in verse 3, Your fathers, where are they? The horrible haunt is that one of those parents who told those things against Christ would ever come back from the dead to their children, Whatever would never come back. Never come back. They're never going to come back from the dead. And they're never going to say something like, "Son, daughter, I died. I found out Christ does not exist. I've returned from the dead to tell you that Jesus is not God. I've come back to assure you that Jesus is not God." Not one of them done that. Well, one of not one of them did that. Not one of them did that. And, and 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 this is why this is what God meant in verse three. Your fathers, where are they? this horrible haunt for all the people is not one person has come back from the dead and said, son or daughter, I've been there, I've been through death, Uh, I've been to the other side, I'm here to report to you there's no God. Let me tell you that. The Bible's not true. Jesus is not God the Son. Not one of them, Not not one, not one. And this is what God meant in verse three. Your fathers, where are they? Not one has come back to say that the Bible is not God's words. And so his words are, in verse 6, in verse 6, my words and my statutes, did they not take hold of your fathers? Those words mean they got caught. They ran until they were overtaken, and everyone runs until they're overtaken by God. Some get overtaken and repent and are saved, like Paul, and some get overtaken in death without repentance, and they be cast into hell. But everyone eventually gets overtaken taken everyone can only run so far there's only so much gas in the tank and the difference between the saved and the lost is that the saved let themselves be overtaken as they realize god's coming to me as a friend god's coming to me not as an enemy but as a friend god is compelling in love not forcing god is constraining by love not dragging with terror God is pointing me gently to the cross and the Savior, not pushing me into a compliance. And that is why the most important invitation that God has ever made to man, that God has ever made to man and that God makes today is one word, come. Come, he says in Isaiah 118. Isaiah 118, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson they shall be as wool. You know, Isaiah one hundred eighteen is not only an invitation to come, it's an invitation to come now. Come now, it says, and let us reason together. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 1.18 is not just an invitation to come to God. Matthew one eighteen is an invitation to come to Jesus. It's Jesus who said that. In Revelation 22.17, Revelation 22.17 says, The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Revelation twenty two seventeen is not just an invitation to just come. It's an invitation to come three times. And all that points to the fact that life is short. Delay can be fatal. Lay, delay can mean that the opportunity to be saved can be gone, lost forever. So that's why, the, the, this is why the heart of God beats for the salvation of man. That's why he starts off this book by saying, "Sore displeased, wrath, but turn to me, I will turn to you. The salvation of man lies the nearest to the heart of God, and that should lie the nearest to our hearts as well. Now, Isaiah was shown a scene here, a very interesting scene that goes on and on about myrtle trees and things like that. And Zechariah, he didn't know what it meant. So in humility, in humility, in verse 9, he said, Then said I, Oh my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said, I will show thee what these be.
2: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God,